Yeah, Lord, we, we are so grateful again to be in a place where we can wrestle with scripture and encourage one another and give high fives and cry together and just be church, be the church. And Lord, as we're um, gathered together right now in a place where we're wanting to be the church, not just be at church, but to actually be community, be the, the community of God's kingdom, we would ask for your grace and your mercy and your direction and your spirit to just uh, revive our hearts where reviving need is needed and that you would convict us where conviction is needed, that you would compel us where compelling is needed, that you would um, do all the things that only you can do for each one of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. I've been thinking a lot about this saying that Jesus makes in Matthew, Matthew 16. He, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And it's an interesting um, statement because I, I, I just kind of think a couple things is that, first of all, Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm thinking about building my church. I, I've been considering building my church or someday I might show up and build my church. He says that I will build my church. And so it's a promise, amen? When God says he's gonna do something, how many of you agree he's gonna do it, right? So he promises to build his church. And I just wanna know, maybe you've never done this, but have you ever stopped to wonder how does Jesus build his church? Like what are the building blocks of the church? Like what do you think those things are? Like, what are the things that the church has to have in order for it to be, be church? I'm not talking about like, we got a building or, you know, we have a service. I'm talking about like, what is required for us to be a community of God's kingdom? Well, yeah, faith. How many of you agree that love, service, love, service, mercy, prayer, what else? People, good answer. <laughs> Good answer. We are. We're moving along. What else? What else is required for us to be the church? To know who Jesus is, to love one another. What else? Fellowship. Like there's a lot of different words we could use to really think about what being the church is, right? Um, what about kindness? Whoa. Or friendship. Friendship, right? Um, I'm going to really try hard not to cry today, but I'm just warning you it's going to probably happen. No. <laughs> Gosh, sometimes I don't like you. But uh, this, this week, you know, Robert passes away and, you know, we're going to talk about him because I, I was just been thinking about how um, we can't be the church if we can't love people. Right, And I, I just want to let you know I love Robert. And I know a lot of people in this church love Robert. And, um, you know, there's a small group of people that got a phone call that Robert was passing away. And, you know, we instantly, like, rushed over to the hospital. And, and I'll get to the point of why this has, what this has to do with my sermon. But I just want to say, like, I was, I, was, I was there in this room with a small handful of people, with Joanne and Robert. And, and as I was sitting there... You know, the, the, the waves of emotion are happening. And I just remember sitting there and this, this thought popped into my head. And this is, this, is, this is just honest to God, 
what I felt like the Holy Spirit was showing me in this moment is that I want to be a part of a church and I want to do everything I can to create, form, and maintain a church community that would be willing to show up when I am dying. Like, I want to be that church. And I want to be a part of a church where I knew that if, if I needed people to show up and to sit by my side as I was suffering, they would do that. And it was just like, I was sitting there and I was just like, oh my gosh, for Robert and Joanne, who is their family? Well, they have cousins and nieces and uncles and aunts and all that stuff. But you know who some of their closest family members were? People in this church, right? And so I just remember seeing that and I was like, I was overwhelmed with emotion, like for a lot of different reasons. But I just remember, I was like, I do not want to be a part of a church community that we just show up together, sing a couple songs, get the warm fuzzies and bounce out of here and go about our day. That's not church, amen? It's not. And so I'm, I'm sitting in, a, in this space and I'm just observing this really beautiful thing where the church is, is willing to be there for each other. And I gotta tell you right now, I mean, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, sometimes you know, family's gonna be like, no, we're good, just chill out, and that's, that's okay. That's not bad. By all means, that we, families should be able to make that decision. But can we all agree that when people are going through really difficult and challenging things, and if they don't have people to enter into their lives, the church should be the first community that says, I will be there, right? I did not hear a whole lot of amens there. Do we agree with that? Like, it's just part of what we're supposed to do, right? It's what community is. It's what the church is. And so what I want to do for a moment here is I want to read a portion of Scripture, and then we're going to flesh this out a little bit, okay? Because I want us to think about how this passage really fits into the framework of what it means to be the church community. And so we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. Okay, and this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He writes these words. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ, also known as the church. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. But if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. 
So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. And so I want us to think of for, for a few minutes here about how this passage of scripture applies to our lives and how does it challenge us? How does it confirm suspicions we may have? Or how does it maybe convict us about practices that we haven't participated in? Or perhaps how does it stir us up in a way to make new, new commitments, new values in our lives? I, I think we need to wrestle with some of those questions. But it's just like, we have to realize the way that God designed the church. I mean, I think that I've been in church my whole life. I, I, my mom became a Christian when I was so young. I do not remember a time where I was not in church. And I am in therapy for that. And I think that church is weird. And, but I got to tell you, I've just seen crazy things, but I've always been around the church. And my, my observation is that it's tough to pursue what, what Paul is talking about here. Because I think at the end of the day, we like to be comfortable. Can we agree with that? And so we like to surround ourselves with people who are just like us because it's easy. I don't have to change. I mean, like if, if it were my, if I could design this church exactly the way I would want it to be, it'd be a whole bunch of fly fishing guides and every one of them could row a boat and they all wanna go fishing every day. We just go fishing, right? Or, you know, maybe it would just be like, instead of, the Lord's Supper, we would have tacos, you know? I mean, there's all these different things that you would probably do if it was just up to you, right? You get what I'm saying? Like we would design this thing to where we never have to stretch or be to be challenged. We would just design it in a way that's really pretty homogenous. It's all the same. But here's the thing. The church is supposed to be diverse. It's supposed to be diverse, yet it's also supposed to be unified. It's supposed to be diverse and it's supposed to be unified. And so we can look at the city of Corinth here. We're reading from the book of 1 Corinthians and Paul wrote this, this letter to the city of Corinth, to the church that was there. And, and I think the church that was in Corinth is a really good helpful model for us because many of the challenges that the Corinthian church had would be really similar to the church challenges that we could have in our community. And so there's two types of diversity though in the city of Corinth, the church that was there. There's two types of diversity that, that seems to be like really common in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. He's, he's fleshing out these two diversities. And the first one is this, there was a group of diverse people. There was a group of diverse people. And what I mean by that is this, I, I think there were, there were, in fact, we know there were a lot of ethnic diversity. There's a lot of ethnic diversity in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a city that had people from all over the Roman empire. So that's similar to, I think, Red Bluff in some ways. We're not just one ethnic group in our city, contrary to some people's popular opinion, right? There's, there's people from all over in Red Bluff. It's not just one group. And so people were literally from all over the Roman empire in that city. There was also cultural diversity. You know, there's cultural diversity. You find out real quick. I mean, a lot of us think like, oh, it's not that diverse in our communities, you know? I, I've, this is my observation. I've done a lot of weddings in my life and a lot of weddings for white people 
And I've learned that white people have a lot of different traditions. And you take a, a, a woman and a man, and when they get married and you throw them together, you find out rather quickly on the first Christmas which ones are the most important, right? Like, no, we don't ever, like, it, like in my family, you got to open up one present on Christmas Eve. And all of those families that don't do it are wrong. I just need to let you know, like, it is like, what do you mean I don't get to open one present Christmas Eve? I went through this whole thing to get to that present, right? We have all these different, like, cultural traditions that we may, we may think are, are normal, but we find out rather quickly when we start interacting with other people that they also have cultural things that they do that might be a little different. There also was a lot of generational diversity, meaning that there were people from every age group amongst this church. And we also had a lot of social economic diversity too, meaning there were people who had financial resources and then there were people who were, were in the lowest columns of society. Some of them were slaves. Some of them were, were very poor in this church community. And so we have a lot of that diversity in, in Corinth. So that's one type of diversity, but here's another type of diversity. Another type of diversity was related to giftings. And this is what Paul's getting at here. He's talking about that diversity of giftings. And so, you know, Paul, Paul the, the, uh, the apostle Paul who wrote a fair amount of the New Testament, it's really interesting. Many times he goes and he lists out all these different gifts. And if you lay them all out, they don't always match up. Sometimes there's some gifts that overlap, but sometimes he mentions this gift. Sometimes he mentions that gift. And there's some people who only think, for instance, there's 22 spiritual gifts. That's it. But I don't think that's what Paul was doing here. I think Paul was listing out some of the common gifts that seem to be at work in the city of Corinth. But we might, in our church, find out that we could add um, some gifts to this. You know, there's, there's other gifts that the Holy Spirit may give people that are outside the range of what we see. But just as an example here about some of the diversity of giftings, he, he mentions wisdom. We read that last week, that some people had been given the gift of wisdom. They had an ability to have wisdom in certain situations. How many of you right now would agree that sometimes you're so in the mix of a challenging situation that you need to have somebody who has a gift of wisdom from outside that perspective to help you process what you're going through. How many? Now, we need that, right? He also mentions knowledge. Some people that have just a, a tremendous amount of knowledge, I call them Wikipedia, but faith. There's some people who have been given a spiritual gift of faith and they just, they just believe, they trust. They trust, they believe that things are gonna happen when they pray because they've been given faith. Other people have gifts of healings, meaning that that they operate in a spiritual gift where they pray for somebody to be healed of something and it happens. I've seen that happen before. You know, I've jokingly told you when I pray for people, they generally get sicker and I'm sorry. But other people pray for people and it's like they get better and it just happens commonly. There's also miracles that happen. He mentions prophecy, the ability to hear from God and to share that in an encouraging, comforting and strengthening way. Um, there's also the gift of discernment he mentions where you can discern whether something is for the kingdom and bearing kingdom fruit or discern whether or not something is not going to bear fruit. He mentions the gift of tongues and some of you are like, what is that about? That's for a later sermon. But it's mentioned there where people could speak unknown language that they did, they did not know. And then other people have the gift of interpretation of tongues. They're able to interpret when people speak in that spiritual gift. 
And so these are the types of diversity that's happening in Corinth. There's all people from all over, all different, different streams and walks of life, and then there's all these people who are in a community, and they all have different gifting. So when I look at the city of Corinth, the church that was there in the ancient world, I think of, of our church community. I mean, I know we joke around about our church being a bunch of weirdos who are on this journey, but I mean, we have... We, <laughs> Amen, we are weird. I don't know. Uh, the point is that we have a ton of diversity in this room, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. We just, and we need to celebrate diversity. We need to celebrate the fact that we want to be a church community that is full of people from all walks of life because Jesus, Jesus has promised that, our, that the church, the end game, when you get to heaven, because this is the funny thing. I know people who are like, I just want to be in a church full of people just like me. And they always have a Southern accent, by the way, sorry. Okay, I just wanna be in a church with people just like me so I can worship Jesus the way I like to. It's like, okay, when you get to heaven, you're gonna run into some problems because Jesus says that every tribe, every tongue, and every nation is gonna be represented and we're gonna be worshiping him in a lot of different languages with a lot of different people. Some of them you're gonna be like, I did not think they were gonna get in. You know, and they're gonna be looking at you and be like, how did you get in, right? I mean, that's the whole point is that Jesus has a heart and a desire and is eager to gather people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation to himself. It's the whole point of this thing. So diversity is not a bad thing, but we can be united in some commonalities. And the first one is this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This kind of, this idea of diversity though, and you know, really not trying to be a church of one type of person. It touches on this vineyard value. If you've been in the vineyard for a long time, or maybe you've been around a little bit, you've probably heard this phrase spoken where we say, come as you are. And I, like, this is one of my favorite values because when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I'm just gonna put a hat on and go, you know? But I think sometimes that's what we think it's about. It's about the dress code. Like I'm, some people are like, I love the vineyard because I can just wear my pajamas. You know, and I'm like, yeah, Walmart is just like that, apparently. But, like, that's definitely part of it. I mean, I think part of the whole come as you are thing is where we want to give people the freedom to come as they are. I mean, but what that really meant back in the day when, when John Wimber and the early vineyard leaders were talking about it is there was a part of that that was, but don't stay as you are. That's actually what that value is. So it's like, come as you are, come as you are, wearing shorts, flip-flops. You know, when the vineyard was developing early on, it was in the late 70s, and there were a bunch of hippies and Jesus people who were, who were coming into churches, and they were wearing sandals or barefoot and T-shirts and shorts, and a lot of church people were like, that's not going to work for our church context here. And so early on, they said, come as you are. But here's the reality, and this is the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that Jesus loves us enough to not leave us as we are. He welcomes us into his kingdom and into his community just the way we are. But as we begin to interact and interface with the creator of everything, we find out that he loves us enough to help us to become better versions of ourselves empowered by the Holy Spirit so we can actually be a light to the world around us. Because if we're honest, we are not very kind people naturally, right? Human beings are not very nice. And some people are like, oh, that's just so pessimistic. Listen, I am a parent. 
And I just know that Don and I never, ever spent time training our kids to be mean to each other. We don't, right? We don't need to. They just kind of, they're human beings. And I'm not talking about my kids. I'm saying like people, my mom never, my mom never said, listen, you're going to have five sisters. I want you to torture them. I was like very quick to naturally respond to that calling. Like I just could, I just was good at it, right? So the whole point is that human beings without grace and without mercy, and without Jesus, we, 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 we struggle with these things. And that's why we have to come as we are. We don't have to like get cleaned up and get everything figured out. And then we can enter into the kingdom. We enter into the kingdom broken and dead spiritually. And God gives us grace and he gives us life. And he begins to form us and shape us into an image of Jesus. That's the whole point of the gospel, right? And so this whole idea of come as you are though, what that means, it's not just about music. It's not just about clothing, okay? It actually means a lot more to us than that. It means that if we're doing this thing right, if we, if we really say come as you are, if we really say that that is true and it's a value that we have, it means that our church will never ever be full of people who are just like us. Amen? That's what it means. It means that we're going to be sitting with people that have different ideologies, different perspectives on things. You're going to be sitting next to Democrats, and some of you Democrats are going to be sitting next to Republicans, and then some of us independents are going to think you're all crazy. Okay? I mean, I'm just telling you, that's how it works. Okay? Come as you are means come as you are. Come as you are. I was talking to Steve Agarda the other day. Steve Agarda, if you, you don't know who that is, um, most, many of you do. Steve was the pastor of our church right here for over 20 years. He was a pastor in our community for 30 years. He is um, just, him and Maxine have, have done many, many marvelous things for the kingdom of God, right? And I, I know I can tell you, and this is what I think, I got so many asides. I, I just, one thing I love about the vineyard, this is just a vineyard thing, I think. Like, I know tons of people who are like, hey, yeah, I... I know Steve Agard, I know about the vineyard because when my dad passed away and we didn't have a church, Steve did the funeral, okay? And I'm like, well, that's interesting because that's something that I think that we also would wanna do. We would wanna do anything for anybody who ever has a need, right? And so it's cool. So we're talking though, and I was, I was just, just talking about how challenging church can be. And, uh, and we were talking about how our church has always said that the center of our theology is the kingdom of God. That's the center. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. And that's really hard because a lot of people want to pull you in different directions and in different ideologies. And let me just make, the, I want to make a couple of statements, okay? Our church is not a church that ascribes or is going to ever promote a political ideology other than the kingdom of God. So you can send me all your Facebook posts and your messages about which platform is the best and which candidate is better. We're not going to do that. We're gonna keep telling you that the kingdom of God is the most central political place you should give your allegiance, amen? Can we get an amen to that? Like it's not, I'm not, I am shocked that that's even a question for some people. Jesus is our king, okay? And, it, and what, it, what it means, this is how this fleshes out for me. It means that, that sometimes we're gonna to be too, we're gonna to be too conservative for some people and sometimes we're gonna to be too progressive for others. Like that's the tension of the kingdom. And so Steve and I are talking about how challenging this can be. And this is what Steve said, I, it's so good. 
I was talking about how I don't know if living in the tension where we, we value diversity and yet we also try to be unified around some values. I don't know if sometimes that can hold because it's really hard. It's really hard. I mean, when I hear people say crazy things, it's hard not to say, you're crazy. Anybody else feel that way? Right, it's like, man, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard, right? Or when you post crazy things on Facebook, it's hard not to say, unfollow. And I was talking about that, and this is what Steve said. This, listen to this. He said, this requires a level of spiritual maturity. Centering ourselves on Jesus and the kingdom as the central ideologies of our community requires spiritual maturity. And it's true, isn't it? Super easy to write people off. Super easy to unfollow people. It's super easy to, to jump to conclusions based off of what people are saying. But it's, it's a lot more challenging and difficult to, to carry out this idea that our, the kingdom of God is, is more important to us. It's, it's very, very challenging. Amen? So here's a quick reminder. Just last week, we talked about how each of us together have gifts from the Spirit. And we talked about this idea about why do people have spiritual gifts. And what we've read this week and last week, we've read that there's two reasons. One is to build up the church. And the second reason is to have a healthy and holistic church community. So that's why we're talking about spiritual gifts right now. It's because we need to exercise our spiritual gifts. We need to use the giftings that we have to be able to make a difference in the lives of people in our community. And you know, so last week I, I, was, I was really shocked by how many people um, were unsure of what their giftings were because I've, I've found this to be true. Um, that oftentimes it seems obvious to those outside about what gifts we have, but we can't really see it, right? You know what I'm saying? Like you see other people and you're like, well, obviously they are dot, dot, dot. Have you ever done that? Yeah. And, but I was also shocked about how many people in our community, people I know for five years now were like, I certainly know where I fit in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's obvious, kids ministry. <laughs> obviously. Or like, no, I really feel like the Lord has given you the gift of being generous, like just writing huge checks to the church. That's, that's a joke, you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> so here's the question I want us to just think about for just a few minutes here. This is where we're going to end with this. The question that people are asking is, how do I figure out where I fit? How do I figure out where I fit? And, and last week we were kind of diving into this idea about how each of us has been created with purpose. There's a reason why you're here. Like you're not just here to take up space, but that God actually formed you and he created you and he loves you and he, he's inviting you to be able to serve in his kingdom. And so the question then, and I think it's a common question is, how do I figure out where do I fit? And I just wanna tell you that first of all, I think that following Jesus is dynamic and that following Jesus is not a one size fits all discipleship process. And in the same way that we all are different and unique, we also all have different giftings. Like the whole point of Paul's teaching here is that we all aren't a foot. We all aren't an eye. We all aren't a hand. Like we have all these different gifts here. 
And so I want to just process a, a, a helpful set of questions for us for a moment here. And so, you know, where do you fit? Uh, one of the questions is, you know, what are your spiritual gifts? And there's a lot of different ways to figure that out. Maybe you do a spiritual gift test, or maybe you have people around you that can tell you, listen, it seems really obvious that you have been given the gift of encouragement. You are an encouraging person. You are an encouraging person. There's people in this room who have the gift of hospitality. You know, like when you see somebody, um, you know, walking in, if this is you, you just want to make them feel welcomed and make them feel loved, okay? So what are your spiritual gifts? Another question is, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Because what you're passionate about, the question then becomes, how can you be passionate about that for the kingdom? I love the fact that there are people who are passionate about creative arts, painting, etc., who use those gifts to glorify Jesus. Another question is, what abilities do you have? What abilities do you have? Did you know that if you can swing a hammer, you can do a lot of things for the kingdom of God? What type of personality do you have? Do you have a personality? And then finally, what life experience do you have? And these questions matter for us here at the Vineyard because if we don't pull together, if we don't pool our resources, if we don't exercise our spiritual gifts, then we're not gonna be a healthy church community that can make a difference in, in the lives of people. We're not gonna be able to accomplish the things that God has invited us into. And what I guess and what I'm trying to say is that I think that you matter and the part that you could play in our church community matters. Like you're not just a number. That's the kind of point I was making earlier. I don't wanna be a church where you just have a number, like your number, whatever it is. Like I want us to be a church community. That's our goal. Don and I, our goal and our desire is to be a church community where people are, are able to, to, to love one another and be community and bear, be there for each other and exercise the spiritual gifts that they have. And this is the point that Paul's making in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, our bodies have many parts, but God, and God has put each part just where he wants it. You're here for a purpose. You're here for a purpose. And also I know that you might feel insignificant. You might feel like you don't matter, but then Paul says some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. They're the most necessary. There's this thing I, I've been thinking about. We're gonna wrap up in a minute here, but this idea of this, I call it the ministry chain. But like if you're, if you're really wanting to see people come to a place of, of faith and salvation and connecting with Jesus, if that's really what you want, then the goal is to get people to like meet Jesus and hear the good news about what he's done for us, right? And so, you know, I, I always think that, you know, in our minds, we think it has to be like, it's like this one meeting. You know, like, oh my gosh, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna study every book ever and then I'm gonna get it all memorized and I'm gonna go have coffee with them and I'm gonna bam, I'm gonna get them. But that's not how it works. It's generally a long series of interactions because God's been at work in the lives of people for way longer than we often realize. So I think about things like through this chain, this chain link idea, and this is what I mean by that, is there's all these different steps. And these are just here in our church community, there's a lot more, but like somebody, walks in the building and someone smiles at them and says, welcome, rather than, why are you here, right? It's a welcome. 
and they feel welcomed rather than like, oh my gosh, they must not want me here. Or, you know, it's a cup of coffee or maybe there's some social media posts that are encouraging for somebody or maybe it's the kids ministry. And there's all these little links along the way that help people connect ultimately through Jesus. They ultimately connect through Jesus because all the, the links are functioning together. Or to use Paul's metaphor, all the body parts are functioning together and it helps people connect to Jesus. It helps people connect to Jesus. You know, so I think one of the things we need to think about is what gets in the way of discovering our our part or our our place or our spiritual gifts. And I think that oftentimes it's, it's, that we're you know, unwilling, we're too busy, or we're selfish, or we're insecure. There's all these different things that seem to get in the way of us, of us serving. And, and I think we have to realize that the Holy Spirit wants to overcome those things, amen? He wants us to overcome those things. Let's stand up. We're gonna take just a moment and pray together. But before we do that, I wanna, I wanna just invite you to really, really think about what's holding you back from getting engaged. There's good reasons. Sometimes we go through seasons, you know, like we just went through this season where we had a lot of football practice for some of our kids and it was just tough to do anything other than, than do that. But oftentimes I think that it's, you know, maybe we're unwilling or we, we don't think that we could play a place. Maybe we're, maybe we're um, insecure. Maybe we don't think that we have anything to offer or, you know, we can be too busy. But I'm gonna tell you a little story. So this week, you know, my friend Robert James is uh, gonna be a little reminder about this. So how did Robert get into this church? Because like a lot of you, he's just always been here. For us, he's always been here. For five plus years, he's been here, okay? Yeah, 20 years. Let me tell you how it happened. Because I've, I've heard this story so many times, I was like, man, it's amazing. So Robert's wife, Joanne, started coming to this church. So she was attending for a while. And, uh, you know, oftentimes getting your spouse to do something is a little challenging, isn't it? We'll just leave it at that. And so over time, you know, she's going and Robert's not. And then um, Joanne asked Bill Knight, I think Bill's somewhere around here. She said, Bill, can, can Robert come and help you out, right? Can he help around the, the church building? Because Robert could, it was just the kind of guy that was just a helper. In fact, his spiritual gift was helps, for sure. Like, no question whatsoever. That's not the only spiritual gift he had, but that is one that stands out. But I wanna tell you, Robert also had the spiritual gift of being a grandpa and being a father and being a brother and being a friend, right? But he, he came to this church and he just started working in the building. He started setting things up and nailing things and hammering things. And when I got here, he was, he was like usher in charge, you know, senior usher. <laughs> And he, he always was so willing to help out, always so willing to help out. And so Robert got to exercise his spiritual gift of being a helper. And, and I, this week when I was thinking about Robert, um, this was the picture that stood out to me the most because when I first got here, 
I was told by everybody who here was like, don't ask Robert to do anything. He'll never do any of those things. And then he would do these things. He just kept doing things. And I think part of it is because he fell in love with my kids. It was not me, it was my kids. He fell in love with my kids. And so, but he would do things. And one Christmas Eve party, some of you were here, we did this thing where you had to come up here and get dressed up as a Christmas tree. And Robert came up and I, I was like shocked. Like, like we are in revival mode here. Like we need to start praying for every person who's sick because God's presence is here. This is a miracle. And he stood there and he got all dressed up and, and you know, everybody's laughing and we were taking pictures and he just stood there. And, and this is an example of Robert using and exercising the spiritual gift of helps because he was willing to do whatever would help to create a culture where people felt welcomed, loved, and served. I mean, that's just what he did. He was so good at that. And that's why there's so many people that, you know, are grieving and, and miss him and love him. And, and here's the thing though, I want you to consider this. You know, maybe you feel like you don't know where you fit. Maybe you, you've been hesitant to, to get plugged in. Maybe you're on the outside, just like Robert was at one time. But I wanna just tell you right now that when we, when we respond to God's invitation with the words, yes, and we're willing to take a risk, that's all that God needs. That's all that he needs. As soon as we say those things, God enters into the story and can help us carry out some amazing opportunities to serve. Amen? Let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. this morning I just want to pray for something and I want to say before we pray for this one thing if you've if you've come this morning and you have a heavy heart if you are frustrated if you have needs whatever you have going on in your life we are not a church that doesn't want to be present for you for that and so if you need prayer for anything in a moment for your needs, but also if you want somebody to personally pray for you, um, let myself, Don, or if you walk up to lots of people in this room and say, hey, will you pray for me? They, they're gonna pray for you. But what I wanna pray for is that we would, that we would function in whatever way that God has called us to do. Because I, I just know I'm not, this isn't like I feel like the Lord's told me. I'm telling you right now, I know that we're not all operating in the gifts that we that we have. I just know it. Because some of you aren't engaged. Some of you are not, you haven't figured out how you fit in. And so I just wanna pray that that would change. And so Holy Spirit, I welcome you into this room right now. I thank you for being present with us right now. And, and I just pray right now, Lord, that you would um, reveal your, your purposes, your giftings, your invitations, your callings. Right now, all over this room, that for those of us who have been discovering and trying to discover and struggling and not sure where we fit, would you right now just 
just pop into our mind. Just give us little pictures or words or, or visions or dreams about how we fit into this beautiful mosaic called the vineyard. Would you raise up more people to be just like Robert who are willing, who say yes, who are willing to serve? And Lord, Robert was a grandpa to my children. He was a grandpa to other children. And so I pray that Lord, you would help each of us in this room. Maybe we won't be a grandpa for somebody else, but we could be an uncle or a brother or a sister or a spiritual mother. Lord, would you help us to be able to identify the needs around us and to serve in a way that helps people experience your grace and your kingdom. Now, Lord, for all the other needs that are represented in this room, would you meet those needs? Would you bless us continually with your presence? Would you, would you shine your face upon us? Would you smile upon your, your people? We thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, have a great week, and we'll see you either this Wednesday at Core Groups or this Saturday for Robert's funeral or next Sunday.